us. We just give you ourselves. Be with us for the rest of this time. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Actually, if you want to just greet one another real quickly, I'm going to let the, the kiddos, if you want to, those of you that are going next door, um, I think, uh, do we have, Courtney is here. She's over here. Oh. Oh, okay. Great. No problem. Lots of new people here this morning. And by the way, Tony's back from Africa, so that's great. Yeah, we're excited about that. Say hi to Tony. All right, if you guys want to find your seats, grab some coffee, grab some snacky snacks. I think, you know, one of the things I love about this community is uh, whenever we do this, uh, you know, like greet, greet one another, say hello to people. All the churches I've ever been a part of, it felt like you had just gone to the dentist. You know, everyone's like, oh, fine, well, you know, whatever. But I can't, I feel like I break you up every time whenever we do that, which is just awesome. A couple of things I wanted to just highlight before I introduce uh, somebody that I've been super, super excited for you guys to meet since we started this whole gig. Um, But first and foremost, uh, there's a couple of of new things that I want you to be aware of. Uh, One is just uh, this little kind of CD cover. People ask you, you know, what's Awaken about, or uh, how would you guys describe yourselves? This is like all the information you would ever want. Uh, So it's got kind of the things that we've talked about as far as our values and distinctives. It's got sort of our tagline, um, who we are, what we do, why we do it, all in here. So grab one of these before you go. Grab a couple of them. Keep them in your glove box. uh, Leave them at restaurants. You know, whatever it is you do virally, you know, in a good way, viral viral sense, uh, take those. Um, those are available. The other thing, Toph was talking about the story. Uh, I'm really excited about this. I don't know about you guys, but I've been chomping at the bit to kind of get back into a rhythm of teaching, and uh, uh, I, that's that's my wheelhouse. Uh, that's where I have the most fun. Not that I don't love you all. I do, um, and it's been awesome to do this summer and kind of have a relaxed time, but I'm excited to, to get into a rhythm. And so this series, uh, the story, we're going to be taking six weeks to just kind of Look at the scriptures, and if you were to break it up into um, really broad brushstrokes, what is the story that the scriptures are telling? And so that's what we're going to be doing with this. Um, we made some of these invite cards, and you'll notice that there's nothing on the back of them, and that was intentional. Um, in this whole church planting bit, uh, we're kind of moving into phase three, and that's basically where we're going to move to weekly worship gatherings. And uh, people have asked, well, what's the difference, or what, uh, kind of what, what does that mean for us? Here's the bottom line. 
Um, what we've been doing so far has just been getting to know one another, getting to know uh, who we are as a group, uh, kind of starting to form some teams that are going to be necessary to do this weekly, and uh, really kind of building a group of people that will launch this church. Uh, and that's you guys. From here, uh, we need your help. Uh, I'm one guy. I, I only know so many people. I'm pretty outgoing, but I only know so many people. And so um, for you guys, as far as your part in this next phase, um, tell everybody you know. If, if you have friends that are looking for communities of faith, uh, if you have friends that don't know Jesus yet, uh, invite them to Awaken. And if you want to, uh, I would encourage you to take some of these and just write a note on the back of them and say, hey, uh, so-and-so, I'm a part of a sweet uh, new community called Awaken, and this is our first series that we're doing. Would love for you to come and join us. So take these, uh, pass them out to your friends, and I will um, commit to you to do my best um, to make it really, really interesting and fun. Um, so there's that. Um, just Toff mentioned uh, Christmas Eve, 4 o'clock. Super excited about that. Ben's got some things up his sleeve that you are not going to want to miss. Um, I'm probably more excited than any of you because I get to know. I know exactly what's going to happen. It's going to be great. Um, but that'll be sweet. Uh, and then uh, don't forget the 26th, the day after, Sunday after Christmas, we will not be meeting. So we'll take that week off, and then January 2nd we'll be back. All right? Um, I want to introduce to you a friend of mine. You guys have heard me talk about Mike Brown, and many of you have said, who is this guy, Mike Brown? Is this, uh, what was that one movie, uh, uh, Unusual Suspects, Mr. Brown? Uh, or, no. No, uh, that was Unusual Suspect, but there was another, like, heist movie where it was Mr. Brown and Mr. Pink and Mr. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Thank you, Reservoir Dogs. Super bloody, like, totally crass. Uh, Quentin Tarantino. This is Mr. Brown, okay, everybody? Uh, But Mike has been, uh, um, for Laura and I, um, just an... A, a really, really big part of the process to, to plant a, a new community. Um, many of you know the story months, uh, actually a couple, almost two years ago, we went to an assessment process to just uh, ask the question, uh, you know, are we fit for this? Are we a good, are we a good fit for this? Is, is this a, um, do I have a gift mix that would lend itself to planting a new community? And Mike was uh, a large part of that assessment process and has just walked with me and Laura, uh, Laura and I, um, the whole time. Uh, answering questions, uh, challenging us uh, to step out in faith. And uh, so Mike is the director of church planting uh, with the Northwest Conference of the Covenant Church. So many of you know, uh, Awaken is a covenant church, and that's who we've planted with. And uh, Mike has done an incredible job. Uh, uh, I've gotten to meet all of the directors of church planting uh, in the covenant. And hands down, in my opinion, and the people that I know, Um, Mike is uh, cream of the crop. He is absolutely one of the the, the most talented and uh, knowledgeable, and he's done this himself a couple times, planted a few uh, churches in North Dakota. So we are really, really lucky and blessed to have him. Um, For me personally, in my own journey, uh, a lot of you guys know some of my story with my my dad and um, the the last community that I came from uh, before Berean, and just some struggle that uh, that, that, that goes with that. Uh, and Mike has been a voice of uh, encouragement and belief in me uh, that has meant the world. Uh, and so it's, I'm excited to introduce him. And uh, if you would just welcome him uh, to Awaken, this is Mike Brown. Wow. I don't know if I've ever had quite an introduction like that. Tough to live up to, but... Um... By the way, I'm pretty sure that the reason that Michael left these blank on the back is if you invite someone, he will autograph these. 
on that Sunday. I'm pretty sure that's what that's all about. Yeah, there you go. Well, I am glad to be with you. This is um, church planting, something I'm really passionate about. Um, my wife and I, as Micah mentioned, have been part of planting three churches in the past. So uh, a lot of ministry has happened. Uh, and so uh, I, I came into this role. They asked me if I would be the director of church planting, and I said no. And uh, we were in our last church plant, and things were going really well. We were reaching a lot of people. Just great things were happening. God was really doing some amazing things. And they said, no, 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 you don't get to say no. And I said, what do you mean I don't get to say no? And they said, you have to pray about it first. And I <laughs> see you're doomed. If, they, if, if that happens, by the way, you might as well sign up that day because it's over. And um, so we, we did pray, and this was where God was leading us and uh, have been up here now four years at the conference level. We've planted, uh, I think, 28 new churches in that time in our conference, yours being one of them. And so my pleasure is I get to work with really gifted pastors. I, by the way, this is this a shock to anybody here? You have an amazing pastor. Micah loves you. He cares about you. This new church is off to a great start. I'm really encouraged. So keep up the good work and just uh, love what God's doing here. So... Anyway, it's good to be with you today. This is, um, since this isn't like your normal worship experience this morning, um, <clears throat> I was going to come and and, uh, and preach, but I'm going to kind of do kind of a modified sort of thing. I want to, because I do want to share some things with you, but um, rather than it be a, you know, purely a preaching exp- uh, thing this morning, I, I want it to be a little more interactive. So I'm going to kind of do a message that I think God laid on my heart for you, but I uh, at the end, I want to make sure we have time. So if you have questions, because you see the title is Why Plant a Church, and that may be uh, and that may be a question that's been rattling around in your head, um, I want to offer opportunity for you to ask me any questions, and nothing's off limits. I just might not answer it if I don't like the question or I don't know the answer, but you can ask anything you want. <clears throat> anyway, well, I want to start off, I don't know if you've got your phones or your Bibles uh, handy. Um, I do want to read some scripture to you this morning before I begin. And um, it's Acts chapter 2, verses 42 uh, through 47. And it says, it says, they devoted themselves, if I can get this to clear out here, there we go. Excuse me, I have a cold, so uh, bear with me. I'll do my best. So they, excuse me, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is a description of the first church plant uh, recorded in the New Testament. This is the first church plant. Now, you've probably, some of you may have heard 
this uh, passage before, um, and I've heard people read it and say, yeah, but you know, that was the early church and things are different and that's not an ex- something that we should look at as a model or an expectation. And I would fundamentally disagree with that because I think there are some principles there uh, that will help answer the question we're asking this morning, which is why plant a church. Before I jump into that, though, would you bow with me? I'd like to pray. Father God, um, we're grateful for your word. I'm grateful for new beginnings and a new community and for this church, for Awaken, for what you're doing here. For the people you are gathering, the people who aren't yet here that you'll bring, uh, we give you thanks in advance. Lord, for this Advent season, for the coming of your son Jesus, Lord, we're grateful. Uh, it means so much to us uh, that you would release him to, into our homes and into our hearts. So, Father, be with us this morning. Uh, let this time, Father, be your time as we focus on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I, I want to start off, in, and I want to talk a little bit about the church. And when I talk about the church, I'm not talking about awake, and I mean the, the big C church. Because um, I, I think that in America, I think we've made church into something very complicated. I think we've made it complicated. I think we have made it, uh, created it to into something that I don't think God intended in the beginning for it to be necessarily. And, and I'm pretty convinced that we have two choices uh, facing us right now uh, as the American church. We can either do church, which is what most of the bodies that are gathering around the country today are doing. They're doing church, or we can be the church. Uh, and, and I think there's a significant difference between the two. And so I want to um, know, let you know that I, I think that a lot of kind of conventional wisdom has, has crept into the church over the years. Um, and some of the things that I see um, happening in the American church, some of the conventional wisdom that's taken root and I think has become almost uh, counterproductive in the church today, uh, I'm just going to share a few of those things. One of the things I think it's crept into the church, uh, some thinking is, when it comes to church, do your time. Do your time. You see, you need to worship often enough that nobody will think you're a heathen or a pagan. So just come just often enough just so that, you know, nobody thinks bad thoughts about you. The other thing that's crept into the American church is have boatloads of programs. Keep everybody so busy that they have no idea what's really happening. So... Sometimes programs can take up the place of passion. We just substitute a program for passion. Um, The other one that I know has crept into the church, because I get around, by the way, we have about 150 churches in our conference, and I get around to a lot of churches. And uh, this one I see a lot. Act like you've got your whole life together. How many churches have you been in where if you ask anyone in church on Sunday morning, how are you doing, what's the standard response? great, I'm fine. If I was any better, I'd be twins. You know, it's that kind of, you know, people, um, we we have to pretend. And I I will be honest and say that most Sunday mornings when I show up at at church, I'm not fine or good. There's stuff going on in all of our lives. I'm going to venture to guess that everybody gathered here today is dealing with something. There's something going on in your life. But we've been taught, excuse me, that it's not okay. 
for us to, to be transparent with one another. So that's one of the other things that's happening in the church today. And I, I'm afraid that if we start to buy into these lies, that we begin to believe that church is, is something that we're supposed to do, and it's not something that we're called to be. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. Now, I'm going to share, as I start off here, I want to share a true confession this morning, because you don't know me, so I want to let you know a little bit about me. I did not grow up in the church. I, I grew up in a family uh, of, of happy pagans. We, we, church just wasn't on the radar. Um, we didn't even do, we weren't even Easter eggs. We didn't even go Christmas and Easter. I did, you know, it just wasn't something we did. But when I got into high school, a good friend shared Christ with me. And over a period of time, uh, I came to understand that I needed Jesus in my life. And uh, I started to attend church started reading the Bible like crazy and uh, as I started to go to church. And uh, i got to tell you, I was really disappointed because I'd been reading my Bible and I'm reading about all this crazy stuff. I mean, how many of you read the Bible and you think, wow, there's amazing things were happening in the church when you read in Scripture? And yet none of that stuff was happening in the church that I attended. I, I mean, I never saw those things happen. And I, I was pretty convinced growing up that um, if the stuff that I was reading about in the Bible actually did happen in our church, people would have fallen off their chairs. I mean, if God had shown up, people would have said, who invited him? You know, I mean, there would have been that kind of sense because there was no sense of expectation. There was no sense that God has to be here. The Holy Spirit has to show up. Or, or why are we here? Why are we gathering? And so the, our, the church that I grew up in had become really good at keeping appearances about doing church, but they had forgotten what it meant to be the church. Well, I'm going to, uh, how many like statistics here? Numbers? Anybody? Okay, there's like three of you really twisted people in the room. I do, so uh, bear with me. Uh, try not to go to your happy place because this is kind of, it's, it's kind of important stuff. The American church, here's, here, here's kind of a flyover survey of what's happening in the American church right now. Willow Creek did a survey of churches. Here's what they found. During the last 10 years, combined Protestant church membership has declined by 9.5%. So our churches are emptying out is what that means. At the same time, the population in the U.S. has grown by 11.4%. Somebody do the math there. How big of a gap do we have in that decade? Yeah, right around 20%. Approximately 3,500 churches close their doors every year in America. So, again, somebody can do the math, but that's nearly 10. You know, we're talking almost 10 churches a day. And actually, that number's dated now. I've heard it's maybe closer to 4,500 churches a year. The average church size has declined from 104 in 1992 to about 90 today, uh, and that's not a good thing. It's not because smaller churches are more effective. It's because they're dying is what, that, uh, what that's indicating. Um, half of all the churches in America last year did not add one new member through profession of faith in Christ. We'll let that sink in for a second. Half of the churches in this country did not add even one, not one, new member 
through conversion or profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And here's one for you, because Micah just gave you uh, some invite cards. It says, uh, the average church attender in America invites one person to church to come with them to church every 28 years. The average church attender invites one friend to church every 28 years. Here's the funny part about that. Okay, we live in this postmodern, post-Christian country, people, but people are more open right now to spiritual things than they have ever been. And what we're, uh, what we're being told is that almost 80% of people who, uh, about 80% of folks who were surveyed said if a friend asked them, they would come. 80% said if a friend asked them, they would come. So you're sitting around worrying about whether they'll show up, and they're sitting around waiting for you to ask. They won't come on their own. Back in the 50s, we built church buildings, and the day that we opened the doors, they filled up. People just came, they came in because people did church back then. If we say, look, we're here at the Joke Joint Comedy Club. Come on, join us. Guess what's going to happen? A year from now, I, I'll show up, and it's going to be the same group here. Unless you go out and bring people in, they're not going to show up here. So what's all this? Why am I sharing all this stuff with you? Because there's a huge contrast between what I just described and what I read in that passage from Acts chapter 2. So let me summarize that that passage uh, from from Acts for you. There, There was a community once of people. There was once a community of people who were so totally devoted to God. They were so totally sold out to following God that whatever he asked them to do, they joyfully did it no matter how risky or irrational it seemed. This community was totally committed to serving and loving God. There was such love for one another in this community. uh, It was so evident and so deep that they didn't even notice the differences between them because this was a church that was incredibly diverse, filled with people from all walks of life. It says that they shared meals together in each other's homes. They loved so deeply they would have been willing to die for one another. They believed that God would answer their prayers. So they didn't pray little prayers. It says that they prayed bold prayers. And it says that a deep sense of awe came over everyone as God showed up and answered those prayers. There was power there. This passage says that this community believed that each person was gifted by the Holy Spirit. So they operated on the basis of those gifts. There once was a community of faith that was so completely focused on God that they stopped worshiping stuff. It says they began to share everything that they had and that no one went without. There was no one in need. There once was a community of faith that had such deep love, such a commitment to God, that they couldn't stop talking about him. And the passage says that every day God added to their number those who were being saved. Every day. How much fun would that be? That every time you were together, there were new faces here. New people who didn't know what you know, but because you were willing to take a risk, they, they heard about Jesus, and their life was transformed. I don't know about you. I want to be a part of a church like this. This is the kind of church that people out there want to be a part of. Not the one I described before that. It's no wonder people aren't attending some of our established churches because they have replaced passion with programs. They, they have 
replaced, you know, this living, uh, breathing kind of thing that church should be, this organism that the church is with an organization. And so why, why do we plant churches? Because in every generation, in every generation, there needs to be a corrective. Every generation, there needs to be a new wave of God, a new move of God that's, that reshapes the church, that calls the church back, not to something new, because I hope you're understanding what I'm talking about this morning is as old as the church. But what we need is for God to call his people back to their roots, back to the beginning, back to what we were originally called to be and to do. Now, I know a lot of people read that passage in Acts 2 and they say, sounds a little bit like a fairy tale. You know, and you want to hear at the end of that passage, and they lived happily ever after. Now, was this a perfect church in Acts chapter 2? The answer is clearly no. It's clearly no. Because if you've read on from there, you don't, you don't have to go very far. You get to chapter 6, and there's already conflict in this early church. So they weren't perfect people. But they were trying to do life together. And I know that Mike and I have talked a lot. And community, he uses that word because it's a rich word and it's a word that has, has power. And what he wants to see is a, is a biblically functioning community of people, not an institution. And I know the word church carries some baggage for people uh, today, but I believe that the church is important. I mean, the church is, is called in Scripture the bride of Christ. And... If it's, if, if it's the bride of Christ, it should be equally important to us, just as important it is to God. So what were some of the... So, so why plant new churches? Well, because the level of devotion that's described in this passage needs to be recaptured if the American church is going to be here uh, in another 30 or 40 years. You know, it used to take... Uh, an average church was, was planted, started... And it took 50 years for the, that church to hit the kind of hit the plateau. It, you know, the old bell curve, you know, the life cycle. We all, you know, are born, we grow, we age, we die. I mean, that's, and the same thing happens with churches. It used to take 50 years for the typical church to kind of hit the top of the peak. And then they'd be in serious decline after that. Um, the most recent studies say most new churches now hit that peak at 15 years of age and are in serious decline by 20. Uh, that's sobering. That's a sobering statistic. So something's got to change about how we do church. So why do we plant churches? Well, the first thing that the, this passage in Acts 2 tells us is that this group of people were totally devoted to one another. In ver verse 42, it says, All the believers, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, sharing in meals and to prayer. Um, it, and, and the reason I, I want to highlight that is you, you call yourselves Awakened Covenant Community, and the last word is important, because what does what does real functioning community look like? It, it looks like this. It looks like verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, and to prayer. Now, that, that's a functioning community, but that's not what we're seeing, sadly, in in many of our established churches. And, and I'm not here to bash the established church. I love the church. I'm just saying, I, all I'm sharing with you this morning is the reality of what's happening in the country today. And so so new churches are, are badly, badly needed. 
Some people, you know, um, before I went into ministry, I was in industry uh, for uh, quite a long time. I actually sold pharmaceuticals for about 18 years. And, uh, you know, we were church attenders, and I, uh, during that time, but we were pretty much putting in our time, punching the clock, and, you know, we went, the church was open, we were there, kind of that sort of thing. But um, along the way there, uh, I started sensing God tugging at my heart, calling me to go deeper with him, to, to do more. And, um, you know, my position at that time about life was my priorities were that I wanted a bigger house, I wanted more toys, um, you know, comfortable retirement. You know, that was those were all kind of goals on my horizon. And... Um, God said, I've got a different plan. i got a different plan for your life. And uh, I wish I could tell you that it was easy. I heard God speak, you know, the heavens parted, got sky writing, whatever. And, and, um, and I said, yes, God, and I followed him off into the sunset. The truth is that's not what happened. I fought with God. I wrestled with God. Because those transitions are not easy transitions. Well... I thought I sat down, and before I came today, I wanted to think a little bit. You know, what would I have missed if I hadn't said yes? If I hadn't said yes to God, what would I have missed out on? And I think back in those three churches we planted, I would have all I would have missed if I'd have kept on the path I was on was hundreds of changed lives, marriages put back together, people healed, just total restoration in people's lives. That's what. That's all I'd have missed. And I don't know about you, there is nothing in this world that's worth that I could put an equal sign between what I had and what God did in my life. And when you say yes to God in planting here, and you develop real community, lives get changed. Lives get changed. People's entire futures get altered. And that's, that's why this is happening, because I know that's Micah's heart. Uh, he, we've talked about this. I know that's what he wants to see happen. He wants to see real transformation happen. So, sadly, there's just too many people in the world today who want just enough Jesus. You know, just a little bit of Jesus. Not enough that they have to change their lifestyle, question their values, but just enough to feel good about what they're currently doing uh, right now. Well, the, I, I wanna, I'm going to run through, because I want to break this passage down, so I'm gonna, I'll move through these a little more quickly here, because I do want some time for us to talk. Um, it says that this, this passage also tells me that this group was deeply connected with one another. They weren't just committed, there was a connection. It says they worshipped together at the temple each day, they met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Now, this, I think that particular verse is not hard to understand. Do life together. See, what's missing? Why do we need to plant new churches? Because there are so many people in our community who are starving, metaphorically, uh, for real, honest connection and community. Now, you'd think we live in a city, the broader Twin Cities metro is 3.5 million people. But I don't know about you, my neighbors drive in, they hit the, you know, the button on their garage door opener, they drive in, they close the door, nobody knows anybody. You're, we're packed tight into a city, and yet everyone's isolated. People are lonely, and they're starving 
for real community. And so real community, that is the reason we plant new churches, because we need to connect people with one another. It, they need, people need to share meals together. They need to open their homes to one another. Uh, I think there was a time in America where that happened more frequently. I think we've moved a different direction today. So uh, I, I was thinking about this too. So why aren't more churches like this? I mean, by the way, this isn't secret coded stuff in, in, in Bibles that, you know, some churches can't, you know, they, they don't have the access code and so they miss this verse. Um, so why aren't more churches like this, though? I mean, it's a good question, isn't it? If you read it, why would you not say, this is a good thing? I think this is a wonderful model. I, I think the reason most churches don't do this is if you decide as a, awakened to be this church, you have to be vulnerable. You're going to have to open up your lives to one another. You're going to have to say, look, I'm going to let you into my life. And my life is messy. And your life is messy. And together, uh, we're going to have to sort and this out and live this uh, out together. And I think lots of churches struggle with this. Because, you know, people are coming to church, checking it off the to-do list. But they're not really interested in doing life together. So we plant new churches because new churches have no choice. Maybe you've noticed that already, that you may be more connected here than you've ever been anywhere else that you've been a part of. Because you don't have the option of being isolated in a small church like this. Everyone knows your stuff, right? So it's pretty hard to hide here. You can't come and pretend to be something that you're not. Because there, people are going to know. And, and yet the cool part is, is when you show up here and you are whatever you are, you know, this incredibly outgoing person or the, the world's greatest nerd or whatever you are, but the people here will embrace you and they will love you because this is what, that's what community does. That's what community does. Some of the barriers come down. So um, the other thing that this passage says happens in new churches, because it happened in this new church, and I believe it happens in most new churches, is that all the believers met together in one place, shared everything they had, sold property, possessions, shared the money with those in need. There were no needy people in the early church. In new churches, we see them focused, uh, a lot more, a greater focus on meeting tangible needs. This should be a body where no one here should go without. So that means some of you, that doesn't mean you all have the same amount of money or have the same jobs, but it means that some of you who have more, uh, God's brought you here so that you can share with someone else who is in need. And uh, I, I know that every time I, I have shared this concept with, in churches, both established and new, some people, I watch body language, they sit back, the arms cross, and it's like, now you're meddling, because my stuff is my stuff, you know, I and, I, you know, I don't want anybody telling me I need to share or be generous. But we plant new churches because generosity is born in those new works. And, you know, we're, we're born selfish. I know that's true because I have three children and two grandchildren. And one of the very first words that every young child learns is, I mean, you can put them in the middle of a room with a bunch of toys and they'll do this. And, and when someone else reaches in to get one of them, you'll hear them say, Mine. Mine. I mean, it's, I, we're born with that one. So being the church is about meeting tangible needs. Planting new churches means we can, we can uh, meet tangible needs. We can do it from a heart that says, I love Jesus more than I love things. 
And when we get this one right, by the way, we, we kill some things in this culture that are, that are cancerous, that are, are killing uh, uh, people, literally killing people right now. Because when we get this right, envy dies, comparison dies, selfishness dies, greed is, is destroyed. The evil one loses a foothold in our lives and in the world. See, that's what's happening here. That's why we start new churches. Because we need to, we need to get a foothold in the world. We need to push Satan back from the edge. Well, the other part, thing that happens is this passage says, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Um, you know, you, I look around the room right now. I, I don't know how many people are here, but, you know, it's, this isn't a huge group. But, you know, it's a, this is a nice-sized group, but it's, it's not huge. But I know that the intent isn't to stay like this. Micah just handed out invite cards. The intent is for you to bring friends and, and neighbors and coworkers here. And, and not just so that you have more people in the room. I mean, the point of doing this is the same point that the early church had. It says, the Lord added to their fellowship, but then you gotta go, you got to finish the rest of that verse. Those who were being saved. So it isn't just about getting more folks in the room. It's about getting people here so they can hear good news. Now, here's why we have to plant more churches. Um, the average new church uh, will add, if your church is three years old or younger, so like you, brand new churches, will have one new believer for every regular attender that's part of the church over the course of those first years. That's just the average. A church that's 15 years old that number drops to one for every 85 regular attenders. And you heard my other statistic, half the churches in America added no one last year. Not one person. So so why do we plant new churches? Because when you look around a room and you're a small group and Mike is saying, how are we going to do all the things that Acts 2 suggests we do? We need more people. So there's a healthy desperation in new churches that drives you to go out into the community and bring people in and share good news with them. And unfortunately, when you have a 1,000 people sitting in a church every week, there's not much desperation there. There's not much driving you to go out and bring more people in because you look around and say, we're full. The church is full, and it's comfortable, and we're happy, and there's good programs, and my kids have everything they need. See, when you come here and you do this, you make sacrifices. Because some of you, if you have kids, you may be saying, although you have a beautiful children's space and good ministry there. But, you know, if you had teenagers, you'd say, well, there's really, there's really not much for my teens. And what about this? And you could make a shopping list of all the stuff that you don't have here. But that's not the reason people will show up. Well, I'll wrap this up for you this morning. What is it people are looking for in a church? Have you asked yourself that question? What is it people really are looking for? What were you looking for when you came here? I know for sure that it's not flashy programs. It's not beautiful facilities, although this is nice. I think this generation is looking for a place where they can experience an encounter with a living God where transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit is the normal and natural thing that happens every time you gather. Life change happens. 
that you come here expecting every morning when you come to the Joke Joint Comedy Club and drive here, I hope you're thinking this. What is God going to do today? What's going to happen when we meet today? Will God show up in power this morning? Because if you're not coming with that expectation, then you're already starting to shift and drift into a mindset where whether God shows up or not, we got together and had a good time. And friends, that's a dangerous road to start down because that's how many of the churches that populate the city have gotten to where they are today. When the church is at its best, it loves selflessly, serves and gives uh, sacrificially, gives itself away. You know, there's places around the world where the church is exploding right now. I don't know if any of you read about the church worldwide, but the church is exploding in some parts of the world. And when you go there, and if you were to observe the church, it looks very much like this Acts chapter 2 model. They're doing the very things that the early church did, and, and, and it's, it's transforming communities. In fact, right now, it's transforming some entire countries. Church isn't somewhere you go. Church is something that we are together, because we're the church. Church isn't a building. You can't point at the corner and say, that's my church, because that's not your church. We're the church together. So I'm going to ask you this morning, I want to ask you to, to be ready, to willing to change the world. So what does it mean for us to do that? It means you have to give everything. You have to be willing to say to God, I'll go anywhere you want, anytime you want, to do whatever you ask me to do. I, I know that's probably scary, but you know what? If we're willing to do that, God can transform this part of the city, and he'll transform the entire city, and he'll transform a state, and he'll transform a nation. But it doesn't happen in Washington, D.C. It doesn't happen in St. Paul City, uh, you know, uh, state government or city government. It happens here, and it will happen one life at a time, one family at a time, when you say yes. That's why we plant churches. New churches reach people. They transform lives. They, they, they can completely transform communities, neighborhoods, and cities. And I believe ultimately countries if we, if we stay focused on what we're called to. So my challenge is that you would choose to be the church in all its messy, glorious beauty. Love God, love others, love the world around you, and do it all in Jesus' name. Well, I want to, um, so that was all pretty vague. Um, I mean, biblical, but not very specific. And so I, I, I probably went longer than Micah was planning already, but um, too bad. He gave me a microphone. Um, so uh, que- are there questions specific to what you're doing, church planting, uh, that you have? Yes, up and top. You know, that's a great question. Um, what, what's, to, what's to prevent Awaken from becoming just another statistic uh, on the list? By the way, 87% of churches in America right now are plateaued or in decline. How's that for depressing? Um, 
So you're not part of that statistic. You're on the other side of that equation. But how do you not become part of that is the question. Um, I, th- I think it's pretty simple. Um, it, now, I'm going to tell you something that Mike has heard me say before because I tell all the church planters I work with, it's simple, but it's not easy. Um, the simple part is this. Stay focused on your vision. Know who you are and who God's called you to be. Most of those churches that have turned that corner and are kind of on the downhill slope, not doing so well, can't tell you why they exist. And when you lose sight of of where you're going, um, if you're adrift, if you're just kind of going through the motions and drifting through life, you're not going to be very fruitful. So part of it is is, uh, part of this rests with your pastor who needs to keep you all focused on the goal. But you also need to constantly remind one another, why are we here? What is this all about? Why, why did we invest all the time to remodel a comedy club uh, here? Why, did, why are we going through all the trouble to set up every Sunday and tear down and go through all the work to do what you're doing? Um, you have to remind yourself what the end game is. Church, some look, you don't have to be a victim of the life cycle of a church. You can short-circuit that. If you stay focused on vision, when you start to get to the top of the peak, you can reinvent yourself. Look, u two's been, you know, making records for how long? Forever. I mean, there are bands that show up, and they, and they make, you know, they have one hit song, and they vanish never to be heard from again. And then there are groups that have been around forever because they find a way to, to constantly break out and find new and creative ways to keep putting, you know, putting their music out. I think churches have to do the same thing. You have a clear vision, but you can't let yourself get stale. You can't settle in and say, look, we've got 18 programs going now. We're reaching, you know, we're serving all of these people. The problem is programs serve the people who are already here. And I hope you never lose sight of the fact that this church exists for the people who aren't here yet. Look around the room for a second. Everybody just look around. There's a lot of empty chairs yet, right? Okay? There's empty chairs. See, you're not here by accident. God brought you to this place purposefully. But there's empty chairs because God intends for you to fill them with people who need to hear what's happening here, who need to know what community, real community, looks like, feels like. So, I don't know if, did I answer your question? Yeah. Other? Yeah. Yeah, part of it. The, some of the early statistics from that. And then we have our own uh, internal uh, stats, too, so I kind of mixed and matched there. But the big the big stuff about the American church, that's from... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes and no. It was a vague question, so I have to give you a vague answer. No, I just, um, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, actually, actually, my answer, I'll stick with my answer. Um, I think the answer is yes in the sense that if you, if you read through the book of Acts, 
they, they will, t it says there, and 3,000 were added to their number and 5,000, and it lists a number, a specific number. I, we in the American church are scared to death sometimes to focus on numbers, but, but as long as we can keep in mind that every one of those numbers, whether it's 3,000, 5,000, or one, represents a soul, someone that God cares deeply about, and as long as we care deeply about them, it's okay to, it's okay to count, Okay. But when we start counting for the sake of, uh, if it's pride, you know, look, we're the biggest church in the area, you know, we've got the most this or the most that, we've crossed a threshold and we're no longer, you know, we're not, we're not measuring the right things at that point. Um, I think, I think fruit, the, the Bible, the answer to your question is how the Bible, I think, frames it is fruitfulness. So however you define fruit in your ministry here. I mean, what does fruit, fruitful ministry look like for Awaken? I'm sure that's been defined in some of your uh, materials. What, what are you hoping will happen in the lives of people who connect with you? I think that's a pretty fair measure. And as long as you don't abandon that down the road and say, well, now we've changed, we're going we're gonna to measure this way because, one, that other thing that we wanted to do isn't really happening, so let's find an easier thing to measure. At that point, I think you probably, again, have drifted over the line but i don't know if i'm answering the question it's it's hard to be real specific because it's different for every church i think see that's the one thing too i don't think i, I don't think that the uniqueness that you see in churches you can go to 10 churches they're all going to be different i don't think that's accidental and i don't think it's a problem i think this god of infinite variety you know infinite number of colors and you know smells and you know just no two snowflakes alike i think churches are unique by God's design as well because everyone has to figure out though what is the niche Where, why are we here what is who is it God wants us to reach because you can't reach everybody but you can reach some so I there <laughs> all right yeah Um, both. I think it's not either or. I think it's both and. I think there's still hope that 87% of churches that are stuck, for lack of better language, maybe forgotten why they exist, um, I think there's still hope for them. I'm unwilling to write off the, the bulk of the body of Christ here. Um, so we're working with those churches. We actually actively are working with them to try and help them figure out why they're here and what is it God wants them to do. At the same time, though, um, new churches fill a unique niche. We, we have to plant churches. What, what happens, too, and the thing I didn't get into here, is new churches have a tendency to be able to reach the current generation, the younger generation, much more effectively than established churches do. You may already be figuring that out. Um, and so I, I think that it's a both and. Other? Yeah. Well, um, again, I, and, and maybe um, the way that I framed it isn't fair. Because I think a church is, you know, both organism, the word organism and organization share the same root. And I think churches have to be both. 
Um, I don't think God's anti-organization. I mean, look at, again, if we just look at nature, it's highly structured. Everything is, I mean, how many of you in science class, you know, looked at a leaf under a microscope or something? I mean, God's creation has tremendous design, intention, organization, structure. I mean, our bodies are perfect examples of that. So I think you have to have that piece. Churches need to build systems and structure or they or they um, just kind of fall apart under the, the weight of trying to do everything. But to stay an organism means to constantly remind yourself what it takes to be alive. For a church to be alive uh, means that you, you have to stay focused again on the core things. I, here's what typically happens. Here's why I think churches drift again into more the organizational side and kind of forget that they're supposed to be living and breathing and growing and thriving. Um, is that uh, as churches get bigger, and size has something to do with it, but certainly, but I think it's more than that. I think as churches get older and get bigger, the tendency is to want to try and control everything that's happening in the church, to manage it. And um, if you can live in the tension of not being able to manage everything that happens, see, that's why I think it's so rare for, I mean, for people to be so shocked when God shows up on a Sunday morning when churches meet is because we're trying to control the flow of everything that happens. We don't really leave much room for the Holy Spirit and uh, to work and move. And somehow we've got to constantly be reminding ourselves why we're here, what are we focused on, that this is God's time, that it isn't about us. Sunday morning worship is focused on, on Him and... Uh, but again, most of these churches that have drifted into this have, have long ago forgotten what their vision is. They couldn't tell you. I, I literally walk into churches, 50-year-old, 100-year-old churches, and say, why, um, tell me why you're, you exist. And I'm looking at a room full of people like this, and I get this blank glazed. And they say, you know, I think somebody you know, made a needle point of our vision statement once. I think it's in the women's restroom on the wall or something. But nobody knows what it is. It doesn't do you any good to have a vision statement if, if everyone in the church can't articulate it. I know Mike is working hard to keep you know, that in front of you, printing it and so forth. But the reason he does that is so that you can learn it, memorize it. So when someone says, what is Awaken all about, you can say, here's who we are. If you can, and, and by the way, when you're all t- getting tired of hearing about it, the new people who are here might just be starting to get it. So you have to constantly do this, not for a year, not for two years, not for five years but or ten, but for 50 or 100, however long God has this new body, uh, you know, this church here, uh, you need to keep stating vision and help people stay focused. And you can stay fresh if you do that. The minute you let up, though, you let off the gas pedal and you stop pressing in that area, you will become a statistic. How's that for scary? Correct. So, uh, other were there other questions? I know you're. That's right.
Um, boy, that's, that's, a, that's a difficult group question because I would say the answer to that is the best way for you to do it is the way out of who God has made you to be, which would be different for everyone in the room. See, the secret isn't, the secret isn't how you do it. The, the secret to this is doing it. The problem is most believers don't share their faith with anyone. I, I, ho- I hope that, that should keep you up at night, by the way, if you've never actually taken a risk and talked about what God's doing in your life. Um, and it doesn't mean you're perfect and you know the whole Bible and you can quote Scripture because people don't care about that anyway. If you go down that road, they're, they're going to just shut you off anyway and check out. But when you start talking about what God's doing in your life, how you're being changed and transformed, people will tune in. It's like the blind man in Scripture says, look, I don't know about any of that. All I know is I was blind and now I can see. And, and so that's the story is how is God moving you from where you were to where he wants you to be, which is mature in Christ. And well, none of us will get there in this lifetime. We'll be in a journey. But So anyway, what he said is a great, great answer. Thank you. And, and so here's the hard thing. Here's the hard thing. You, you said we have to not be, I mean, just gather here. We need to be out there. And here's what happens over time. You, do you guys like meeting together? I mean, it's, it's cool when you get together. The music's good. You know, it's fun to be together. You get all caught up. You hear about what God's doing in your lives. And the danger always is, is we like being together. So let's just meet more often together. And you start circling the wagons, kind of close off, wall yourselves off from the world. I mean, honestly, look at most churches. That's how they got where they are is people start saying, oh yeah, and by the way, I need, I need this and I need that and my children need and my, you know, and as soon as you go down that road, you're, you're already in danger. You start, you start drifting into a place where it's all about me. It's about what I want and what I need. And again, you stop focusing though on the people who aren't here yet. So that will be your challenge, is how do we stay ex- be an externally focused church and not get all caught up in our stuff here? At the same time, the challenge is the Bible doesn't say in, in uh, the end of Matthew, Jesus didn't command us to go and make converts. He said, go and make disciples. So at the same time you're out there bringing people in, you're going to have to figure out how do we grow people up and mature people in their faith. That's the discipleship part. So that, so it's not any, again, it's not either or, it's both and. Finding the balance between helping you all grow spiritually and develop and continuing to reach people who are out in the community, that's going to be, that's the tension. That's the constant tension. Other or comments or questions? I know we're probably out of time.
Micah, you want to wrap this up? You got anything you need to? Thanks, Mike. Let me, uh, let's do this. Why don't we uh, pray together and then uh, stay as long as you like. Obviously, the coffee's still warm and uh, Mike will be here as long as uh, folks want to chat. So let's pray if we can. Father God, we want to thank you so much for for the gift of your church. Um, uh, it's hard to fathom for me often uh, why you would choose a group of people like us um, to be the, the living, breathing expression of you in the world, and to be those who testify to and tell the story of Jesus. Um, we're selfish. Um, we... We think about ourselves more often than we think about others. And so we need your help, God. We need your spirit. We need you to breathe life into, into us and into Awaken. God, we are desperate for you to, to be who you promised to be. And so we, we ask, we plead with you to do that, and we expect that you, sh- you will show up, God, that when we gather, then when we take time and set it aside and... Um, declare you as the one who is worthy of worship, that you will be here. And so we look forward to the ways that you change us. We look forward to the ways that you transform our hearts, that you ask us to change and become the, the people that you always dreamt for us to be, God. I pray that by your spirit that you would teach us what it means to wake up to your dream for the world. And that in doing so, God, we would... Uh, we would experience life as we were intended to experience it, as much as we can, uh, as we await your return and resurrection. So we're grateful for this morning, for the specific time and space that this uh, held, holds in our life, and, and uh, we look forward to the ways in which you will become more real and change and uh, become more near to us. So we love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Um, just a couple things as you guys go. Uh, I forgot to mention there's uh, two clay pots up here if you have offerings or tithes. Or if you're new, we'd love to know who you are. You can fill out one of the cards that are back there. Um, and again, Christmas Eve, 4 o'clock, we'll see you there hopefully. And if not, if you're traveling, safe travels. God bless you. Godspeed, which I never really got. Maybe somebody who understands Victorian English can tell me what that means. But uh, we'll see you all uh, when we see you. All right? Peace.